This is Getting to Know Your Bible, a program dedicated to the proclaiming of the good news of Jesus Christ. Here's Billy Lambert. It is a pleasure to be with you today on Getting to Know Your Bible. We do appreciate those of you that are watching today. May I thank you for tuning in. Today we want to begin discussing a topic that we will discuss on three or four of our telecasts, God's way, the best way. I hope that you'll stay tuned today as we begin this series. Now on getting to know your Bible, we offer a free Bible correspondence course, and I emphasize it is free. We want you to have it in order that you might know more about the course, and in order that you might be able to receive it free of charge, Let's pause for just a moment. To help you in your study of the Bible, we want to send you this Bible Correspondence Course. This course is non-denominational. It's based on the Bible. It's conducted by mail, and it's free. To receive this course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, Somerdale, Alabama, 36580, or call toll-free 1-877-877. 7115214 I want to read now from the 55th chapter of Isaiah two passages of scripture verse 8 and verse 9 listen carefully while I read for my thoughts are not your thoughts nor are your ways my ways says the Lord for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. God's way, the best way. Why would I suggest to you today that God's way is the best way, regardless of what we're doing, God's way is the best way. Why would we make a statement like that? One reason that God's way is the best way is because God is all-knowing. In the 139th Psalm, the psalmist said, You know my down-sitting, you know my uprising, you understand my thought afar off. And then he said, And there's not a word in my tongue, O Lord, but, you, but that you understand it altogether. You see, there isn't anything about us that God doesn't know. He knows where we are. He knows what we're doing. He knows what we're thinking. Surely God's way would have to be the best way in light of that attribute of God. Another reason I suggest that God's way is the best way is because God is ever-present. He is an omnipresent God, always present. Again, in that 139th Psalm, the psalmist said, If I ascend up into heaven, well, he said, You're there. He said, If I were to take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, well, even there your right hand would hold me and your, 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 your hand would hold me. God is there. He is an ever-present God. And another reason we would suggest that God's way is the best way is because God is an all-powerful God. He is an omnipotent God. 
in the 13th, 12th and 13th verses of the 4th chapter of Amos. Uh, Amos there talked about God's power. And he said he formed the mountains. He created the winds. He is a powerful God. Surely a God who knows all, is always present, and is all-powerful would have to do things in the very best way. Another way I suggest that, that, that we can know God's way is the best way is because of what Paul wrote in Romans 11 in verse 33. There he said that God's ways are past finding out. So God's ways are superior to our ways, and they're past finding out. They're unsearchable. They're unsearchable. Another way that, that we can know that God's way is the best way is because His ways, even His thoughts, are superior to our thoughts and our ways. This is what we read in Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. And then he says in verse 9, As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts than your thoughts. My ways than your ways. You see, God's way is best. And the Lord's way is the best way for us to spend the Lord's day. Now, how do many people spend Sunday, that is, the Lord's day? Sixty percent of the American people stay at home. On the average Sunday morning, it is said that anywhere from 38 to 40 percent of the American people are in some place of worship somewhere. And that means that 60% of the American people stay at home. Some use Sunday for a day of pleasure, a time to go to the beach, a time to go to the lake, a time to go to the golf links, a time to, to sleep late, time to use for self, that is, they use it for pleasure. The language of Paul in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 5, is very appropriate at this point when he said that they will be lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God. If there was ever a time that men and women were lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, certainly it would be in the day in which we live. And then some spend Sunday however they just choose, because it doesn't mean any more to them than any other day of the week. But what is it is so special about Sunday? What is so special about the day that is referred to in the Bible as being the Lord's Day? Well, one of the reasons that this is a special day is because it is Jesus' resurrection day. It was on this day that Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. You read that in Luke, the 24th chapter and verse number 1, that it was on the first day of the week when some of the disciples came to the tomb. Verse 3 says, Entering in, they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. He had been raised from the dead. And in the 118th Psalm in verse 24, the psalmist said, This is the day the Lord hath made we will rejoice and be glad in it. And the day that the Lord hath made is the first day of the week. In verse 22 of Psalms 118, the psalmist said, 
that the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. Jesus quoted that passage in Matthew chapter 21, verse 42. And he requoted it in reference to himself. Jesus is the one who's become the head of the corner. Jesus is the head of the church. He's the head of the body of Christ. And in Ephesians, the first chapter, where Paul talks about Jesus' resurrection and Jesus Christ being exalted as head of the church, he makes reference to uh, several things I want us to note. Notice verse 15, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under seat, gave them be the head over all things to the church, that is, he became the head of the corner, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. When the psalmist talked about a day the Lord has made, he's talking about the time Jesus Christ was exalted to be the head of the church. And it was on the first day of the week Jesus Christ was resurrected. And, and Jesus Christ now has a day, and we call it the Lord's Day. This is the day upon which the church began. The Bible in Acts chapter 2 and verse 1 says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Pentecost always occurred on Sunday. That is the first day of the week. In Leviticus chapter 23 and in verses 15 and 16, the people were instructed to count seven Sabbath days. That would be 49 days. And on the day after the 49th day, they observed Pentecost. That would have been the 50th day. And that the 50th day would have occurred upon the first day. And it was upon that first day of the week that the, that the church had its beginning in the city of Jerusalem. And this day is special because it is the day the book of Revelation was written. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, John said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. So, so if this day is so special, how does God want me to spend this day? Now, I know God's way is best. So I need to find out what God wants, and I need to do what God desires. Well, this is to be a day of worship, and God desires us to spend it in that way. In John chapter 4 and verse 24, Jesus Christ himself said, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit, and in truth. And in John chapter 4, Jesus Christ is making a statement about worship. And he says, God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him. God must be worshiped. But then this day is special because it is a day upon which we observe the Lord's Supper. And that's how God wants me to spend this day. Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper after his resurrection 
And in Luke chapter 22 and verse 19, Jesus said, This do in remembrance of me. And in the 20th chapter of Acts, we have an example of early Christians observing the supper of the Lord. On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them. Acts 20 and verse 7. Another way that we see God wants me to spend this day is to, is to spend it in worship because this is a day upon which we give as God has blessed us or prospered us. In 1 Corinthians 16, in the first two passages, Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye upon the first day of the week, that's Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. You see, God, this is how God wants me to spend the day. And spend it as a day that we worship, that we observe the Lord's Supper, that we give as we've been prospered. But this is also a day when we come together as God's people to sing and to praise God. Speaking to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, singing, and making melody in our heart to the Lord. There's no authorization for us to be playing some kind of an instrument in our worship. That passage only authorizes us to sing. And we sing and we praise God on this day. It is a day in which we offer prayer to God. When the church began in the second chapter of Acts in verse 42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, the breaking of bread, and in prayers. So they were continually praying. The church began in a prayer meeting. It moved forward in a prayer meeting. But in a special way, they came together on the Lord's day, the first day of the week, to pray. It is a day to teach and to admonish one another. That's the reason in the 20th chapter of Acts in verse 7 that Paul, when they came together to break bread, Paul preached to them. He was teaching and admonishing and edifying the church. It takes the preaching of the Bible to edify or to build up the church. In Acts chapter 20 and verse 32, there Paul said, And I commend you to God in the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. So the first day of the week is a day to teach and to admonish one another, a day to, to offer prayer to God. And it is a day to fellowship with those of like precious faith. We come together, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 20, we come together as a body of God's people. and We come together to fellowship, to worship together, and enjoy the time that we have together. I always look forward to Sunday. I look forward to the Lord's Day. Not because I'm going to preach necessarily, I look forward to the Lord's day because I know, I know that I'm going to see my brothers and sisters of like precious faith. But this is, a, this is the Lord's day. It is the Lord's day. It's not the Lord's hour. The entire day belongs to Him. This is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and we will be glad in it. But now what attitude should I have toward this day? What should my attitude be? 
I suggest we ought to have an attitude of humility. This is a time that we kneel before the Lord, our Maker. Psalms 95 and verse 6. We come in humility before God Almighty to worship Him in spirit and to worship Him in truth. We should have a happy attitude toward this day. In Psalms 122 and verse 1, the psalmist said, I was glad when they said unto me, Come, let us go unto the house of the Lord. He said, I was glad. He wasn't mad. He wasn't sad. But rather, he was glad when it came time to go to the Lord's house. Today, we should have a glad, happy attitude toward worshiping God. And then, another attitude that I should have is the attitude of thanksgiving and an attitude of rejoicing on this day. In, in Ephesians 5 and verse 19, Paul said, Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart unto the Lord. And in the very next verse he said, And in everything give thanks. This is a day that we ought to be giving thanksgiving to God Almighty for all that He's done for us spiritually and materially. In Psalms 118 and 24 again, he says, Give we are to rejoice. This is the day that the Lord hath made. I will be glad in it. I will rejoice. We will rejoice. We give thanks. We rejoice on this day. It's not a day to be sad. It's not a day that we feel uh, pressured into going to worship in God. We ought to be so thankful that we have that opportunity. We should have an attitude of adoration and an attitude of praise to our God. Well, why is it, do you suppose, that some people do not respect the Lord's day? I think one reason is some people may not have been taught the importance of this day. It's not enough for us to teach people and to baptize people. They must be taught the importance of the Lord's day. In Matthew 28 and 20, Jesus, after Jesus said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So we teach, we baptize, and then we teach and teach and teach and teach. That is, we continue to teach all things that God requires of people today. So some people just may not know the importance of the day. They've not yet been taught. The very first place that I began preaching uh, some number of years ago, uh, a lady came to me one day and she said, Did I understand you to say that it is a sin if we neglect to worship God? I said, uh, yeah, Yes, ma'am, that's exactly what I said. She said, I didn't know that. I had not been taught that it's sinful to neglect the Lord's day. Uh, now, the, being, being uh, sick on the Lord's day and not being able to worship the Lord and being negligent are two different things. And so there's some times that we may be hindered beyond our control on the Lord's day. But neglect doesn't fall into that category. And some people are negligent of the Lord's day because they've never been taught. It wasn't long until this lady who had not been taught that it was a sin to neglect the Lord's day did something about it. And one Sunday morning as I was preaching and we had the invitation song, she came walking down the aisle and she said, I, I have uh, 
I've been attending services now regularly for all these years, but there was a time I did not. There was a time I missed church when I should have been here. And I want to make it right with God today. And I'm here to tell you, now I know her personally. And since that time she made that commitment on that Sunday morning almost 50 years ago, unless she's been hindered beyond her control, she's been in worship on the Lord's day. But she had not been taught. I think one reason that some do not respect the Lord's day is because they've just become negligent. They, they know better. They've been taught, but they neglect their salvation. The question is posed in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3, how shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? And I'm reminded of what James chapter 4 and verse 17 teaches us. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. I think another reason some do not respect the Lord's day is they just flat out have no room for God in their lives. There's just no place for the Lord in their life. In the second chapter of Luke, when Jesus' parents were trying to find a place to spend the night prior to his birth, the Bible tells us there was no room for them in the inn. And since that time, the world largely has had no room for the Lord Jesus Christ. The world still has very little room for Jesus Christ. And there is no fear of God before their eyes, Romans 3.18. You see, some just don't make time. They don't have room for God in their lives because they have made other things priority. Forty percent of the American people will be in some place of worship on Sunday. My question is, where are the 60%? Where are the 60%? There was a time when people in America had respect for the Lord's Day. There was a time when those who had no respect for the Lord's Day were the minority. Now the minority are those who have respect for God on Sunday or the Lord's day. How does God feel when we neglect worshiping on this day? Well, how do we think he feels? It breaks his heart to know that those whom he created and those that he redeemed from their sins show such little regard and such little love and such little respect for him. It's always been the manner of some to neglect worship. In Hebrews 10, 25, the Bible says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is. There were, the, there were some even in the days of the early church who were being negligent of worship. And that passage was written to encourage people not to be negligent. And so absenteeism from worship is a major concern to God. And I'm here to tell you that on the day of judgment, excuses will mean very little. There's a time that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 10. And that's the day that we're going to learn that God's way is the best way to spend the Lord's day. It is always best. You see, God's way 
is the best way. May I also tell you in closing today that God's way is the best way to be saved. If you're not saved today, God's way is the best way. God's way is the only way. Listen to our Lord Jesus Christ in John chapter 14 and in verse 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to God, and that one way to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's way is the best way. And God's way is the only way. There isn't any other way. According to Jesus in John 14 and 6, in John 10 and verse 9, Christ said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and shall find pasture. Jesus is the door into heaven. We have to enter that door, enter Christ to be saved. In order to enter Christ, we must first of all, of course, believe in him. John 8, 24. In order that we might enter into Christ, to be in Christ, we must not only believe in Him, we must repent of our sins. Christ said, I tell you, neighbor, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3. And in order that we might enter that door, we, not, we must be willing to confess our faith in Jesus Christ as being the Son of the living God. In Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, the eunuch said, here's, uh, here's water, what hinders me from being baptized? And the preacher said, if you believe, you may. He said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then in order that you enter Christ, you're to be baptized into Christ, Galatians 3.27. You put Christ on, and you're in Christ. You have salvation, and that's God's way. God's way is the best way. Won't you do that? There are those of you that have been watching getting to know your Bible now for a long time and you've been thinking about your baptism. You've been thinking about doing what God said because you know that His way is the best way. In closing, may I give you a very personal invitation to visit the Church of Christ in your community. And also, will you now pick up the telephone, please, right now, call for the free Bible Correspondence Course. And until we meet again, may the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you is my prayer. Being at Faulkner is like being a part of a big family. I feel safe here. It seems like I know everybody and even my professors know me by name. My faith in Christ has grown a lot since coming to Faulkner, especially working with this outstanding Bible department and seeing the general Christian lives of all the professors on campus. Faulkner University is a growing, academically strong institution where Christ is the center of everything we do. Visit our website today to see what Faulkner has for you. Getting to Know Your Bible has been presented by Churches of Christ. If you have a question about the church, or if you would like the location of a Church of Christ near you, or to receive the free Bible course, write to Getting to Know Your Bible, Post Office Box 314, 
Summerdale, Alabama, 36580 or call 1-877-711-5214. Join us next time for Getting to Know Your Bible. <laughs>